back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts for really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. In this episode, I have a chat with the duo Black Caviar. Black Caviar is a Grammy-nominated production duo based in New York with releases on majors like Republican Atlantic, official remixes for artists like Lizzo and Tiesto, and they also have music in the latest Spider-Man and Charlie's Angels movies. Now, if you've been curious what it takes to build and leverage major label connections, this is the interview for you. We start off with Black Caviar's background, looking at the organic development that led to them working as a duo. Jared from Black Caviar was formerly an A&R at Casablanca Records, which is under the Universal umbrella, so he talks about the importance of experience in the music industry. He also talks about what he learned working at a major label and advice for anyone that's looking to get a bit more experience on that side of the industry. Their project actually started as a purely fun hobby for them, so we talk about how they developed that into a sustainable career and how they still keep the project fun with the increased pressure that's come with their success. On the production side, we focus heavily on how to craft a catchy and full track with a very minimal production. If you're a fan of their music, you'll know they do a very lot with a very little. They talk about how they've developed the ability to do this, and they offer advice for producers who are guilty of overproducing, like pretty much all of us are. Later on, they talk about their approach to creative block, the balance between releasing originals versus remixes, and how to deal with the harshness of trying to make a living in the music industry. One last thing, Black Caviar just released their single Bang Bang with rapper Jen Morrell. It's a really great track, not normally their style, but it's really cool. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the interview so you can get a feel for their music. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM broadcast with Black Caviar. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Troy and Jared, who make up the duo Black Caviar. How are you guys doing today? Good, man. Excellent, man. Sweet. Good. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about your background with music. Talk about what you two were doing before you ended up meeting, and then how you eventually started to write music together. Jared and I are originally from uh, outside Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, uh, Reading and Allentown, Pennsylvania. And... Um, we were just playing in local hardcore and metal bands for uh, many years. And, you know, my band would play with his band and, you know, we just kind of developed a friendship and I, our bands kind of, you know, fell apart, kind of ran its course. And um, we decided that, you know, uh, not together, but we decided that we were moving to New York to try to get uh, real jobs and, uh, you know, with health benefits and a good 401k and, uh, that's, that's kind of, you know, we sort of, you know, you kind of gave up, we kind of gave up on the, you know, we're going to make music for a living dream. And, uh, so, you know, the idea of black caviar really was, um, you know, uh, very natural as far as like the evolution of it. Cause it was like, Hey, let's get together and, and, and make music together. And, you know, and it really kind of started as, you know, music that it was just like a, a, a fun thing to do on the weekends for us. And, um, a lot of it too, there's, you know, there's some humor in some of our music. So, you know, it was kind of just to make ourselves laugh and, and, you know, really have something to do. So it, it started very organically. Um, and then, you know, it, it, we just started realizing that people cared, which was pretty interesting to, you know, when you have very low expectations and, you know, it, it's, it's pretty wild to see that. So, um, yeah, that's really kind of how it began. 
So you started writing music together purely for fun. At what point did you start to think about the music that you were creating as being part of a more serious project? Probably right around Coco. I feel like is Troy, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, we we started. Um, I mean, I guess we it started. You know, seeing a little reaction on Spotify, which was cool. And then I think you know, uh, yeah, I guess Coco um, was the first song that we put out, and we started seeing dance people, uh, dancers do routines to to it all over the world. And we kind of it was it was a little bit surreal because you're just kind of like I can't believe that this dance troupe in Russia is, you know, doing choreography to this song. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's what definitely started getting labels interested in us and starting to, you know, Jared and I kind of looking at each other and being like, Oh, I think maybe we should really try to do something with this, you know? So at that point, you two were early on in your career and you were independent. What was your promotion plan to get your music out there enough that dance troops in Russia were discovering your music? I think it had a lot to do with Spotify. You know, they were a really early adopter for us. And, you know, once that you get, you get in a couple playlists and your skip rate's right and you get in that algorithm, that jet stream, it, you know, it just kind of starts rolling for a song. I feel like that was a really early indicator for us. And then I'm not sure how that transfers to like, you know, I think maybe just a lot of these people that are in the EDM space and the dance music space, they, they, they listen to those playlists and then, you know, buy the songs or whatever. And it just, I'm not sure the connect between the Spotify playlist and the dance troops. But that was kind of the chain of reaction. The first thing we really saw back from the fans were these dance videos. So for the first few years of your project, you were primarily just releasing independently. Was that an intention of yours just to be able to throw music up there and not have to worry about the label issues? Or did you kind of have earlier aspirations of wanting to get on some of these big labels to get more promotion behind your project? No, it was, yeah, it was just throwing songs out there. Because you know, like we, had, we were saying earlier, like we had both been through so much already. Our expectations were just really low, you know? almost zero. It was just, you know, the song's done. We might as well put it up. Let's see where it goes. You know? Yeah. And you know, it, it's just become so easy nowadays with, you know, TuneCore um, to, uh, you know, just make a song and you, you literally can make a song and put it, throw it up on the internet. And then it's, it's out everywhere the next day. And um, it, it, I think that's what really kind of fascinated Jared and I from the beginning, because, you know, we kind of came from a school where, you know, you had to, you know, make a demo tape, make a demo CD, and you had to pitch it to a label, and you had to manufacture the the, the CDs or the, whatever you're putting it out on. And it was like, you know, when when it, him and I had taken a break from making music, and we came back to it, this was now a reality where it was so simple to do, and uh, I, it, it was almost like the fascination, like let's just give it a shot doing it this way, you know, because it was so new to us and. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of times with like la labels and stuff, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to fit into a, a, a lane or a scene and we really didn't know what our lane or scene was. We were just kind of like, well, I don't know, like we're just making the music we want to make and let's just put it out there and see what happens. And I think that also makes a ton of sense in the space of the amount of big labels and big artists that you were able to gain support from because you were able to gain all of this traction on your own, which in the end makes you more attractive to labels and to artists that potentially want you to remix them because you're bringing something unique to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the funny thing with remixes is like it's this, it's a double-edged sword where like they can get you known and it helped us a ton early on. And now we're getting to this point where it's like, we got to be careful about how many remixes we take on because it takes away from trying to make original music. And it's, it's definitely a fine balance, 
But man, early on, there is nothing that can help your your growth faster than get a cosign from you know a bigger DJ or bigger producer. And uh, so we're like super thankful for that, you know, and and how quickly that can kind of springboard everything. So on that, do you feel like official remixes and cosigns are as important as they used to be, or are they not really as important as they were maybe say five years ago? It may be a little less impactful just because there's so much more of it. There's just a bigger volume, you know, just everything, not even just remixes, just more music. So I think it's just going to keep getting increasingly tougher and tougher to break through the noise. Yeah, it was still pretty helpful for us. And I think maybe the, the difference between now and five plus years ago might be where one might have you know, skyrocketed for us. And now it's like a consistent thing we got to keep doing, you know. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point there. Odds are, for anyone listening to this podcast, your favorite artists you know for their original music, maybe some remixes, but pretty much all of the main established artists are known for their original music. So that's definitely a transition that you see a lot of artists making once they kind of hit that medium stage. Absolutely. And yeah, we just went through it because we love to say yes, because especially when it's like somebody we really look up to reaches out, we're like, yeah, let's do it. And all of a sudden we've said, yeah, let's do it, you know, six times in a month. (laughs) Every once in a while, we find ourselves in those predicaments of just being like blinded by the excitement of it all. And then being like, oh, wait, we got to make a lot of tracks real quick. So with that, do you have any examples of any remix requests or pitches that you were given that sounded really cool, but eventually you had to let go because it didn't work for what you were doing at that time? Uh, yeah, I'd probably say it's, you know, when you, when you start doing some bigger remixes and you have some success with remixes, you know, the, there's a lot of times there's like a, a nice cash grab, you know, that like somebody will come at label, come after you and be like, well, you know, you, you remix this and, you know. Uh, how about this much, you know, this much money? And you're just kind of like, oh boy, that's a, you know, even if the song, you know, sucks, you know, you're kind of like, oh <laughs> man, that's, that's a lot of money. So it's, it's kind of having to like self-police yourself a little bit to, you know, to you know, not, because it's tempting to just keep wanting those cash grabs, but then, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely diluting your brand, you know? Totally. So earlier you mentioned that your release Coco was a big turning point in the project. And fast forward a few years, I would say getting a track in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse soundtrack was another big turning point for your project. I'd love to hear how that opportunity originally came up. So I was um, at the beginning of Black Caviar, I was still working at Casablanca Records, which is through Universal, um, who has a lot of labels. They do a lot of work with soundtracks. Um, And then right around Coco is when I, there was a couple of things that happened. I was an A&R. I wasn't a very good A&R guy. Um, Black Caviar started really moving. Coco was out. And then turned out Casablanca was like, you can leave as an employee, but we want to sign you and Troy to do, you know, to do some records. And then so that relationship went on for four songs. And then in the middle of that, I feel like, you know, every once in a while, this briefs come up. They'll be like, hey, there's this movie coming. We're looking for a song like this. If you guys want to take a stab. And to be honest with you, a lot of times that stuff ends in aggravation. Because it's, you know, it's a big payoff. It's a huge look. So there's a lot of people at it. It's kind of a contest. Um, so sometimes when those come in, you, you don't think much of them. You're like, yeah, I'll take a, you know, I'll take a swing if we're bored on the weekend, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, you take them with a grain of salt. And then that one, you know, we got the brief. They, they, they came at us. And then they, and they also went to Blackway. And they're like, you guys should work together. You know, it started like everything else we do really organically, just kind of tossing ideas. And then What's Up Danger started to take shape. And then probably another 25 revisions after that eight months later, you know, it it became like a pretty pivotal point in the movie, but yeah, there was zero plan. You can't plan that. Like it just, a lot of times the stuff doesn't work out. And this is just one of the 50 we've tried that did. Um, and it just worked out a really great way for us. So we're 
I can't, still can't believe it. <laughs> the writing process for uh, What's Up Danger was really kind of, it was strange and it was fun at the same time because it's it's unlike anything that we've ever done where, you know, there was a, an idea for a song, we sent it to them, you know, you don't hear anything for months and you're like, oh, okay, I guess they're not interested anymore, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're interested and you need to write these parts and uh, here's this is what it's going to look like in the movie and then this happens in the movie so you need to write a piece of music that'll fit with this. So it was like, oh, and then what Jared and I were just kind of looking at the, like they put the music to sketches. Like it wasn't actually filled in animation yet. And, and Jared and I are kind of like looking at each other like, is this what the movie is? Like, we can't, like, it's like, what the hell is this? Like, we, we had just never experienced anything like this. And, you know, you're, you're thinking to yourself like, well, if this is what the movie looks like, man, I don't know. This may not do anything, you know? And then, you know, you finally see it done and you're like, holy shit, like this is incredible, you know? So it was definitely a, a very, uh, it was interesting and a unique way to write music. I'm also glad that you earlier brought up how many of these pitches you've been given before and how many of these opportunities have fallen through, yeah. even though it was incredible that you were able to get onto this Grammy-nominated soundtrack, which is incredible. Congrats on that. Oh, it's important thanks, for people man. to understand, like, even opportunities like this for a brand like you are quite fickle. You just have to be prepared for that. Yeah, it's it's, it's frustrating, you know, and, and since then, Troy, Troy and I have been through a couple, you know, like, I, I, mean, I mean, at this point, we can talk about it. We, we worked on the Sonic the Hedgehog movie before it got moved. To a later date and then that fell through and we had a, you know we had a lot of time in that and and that's okay i think it's just one of those things you got to remember every once in a while when you have these really big scores there's going to be you know a lot of frustrating misses and it's just kind of part of the game so in terms of successful soundtrack pitches you two were on the official album for the latest charlie's angels movie you did a remix for the original charlie's angels theme talk about what the writing process was like for that and what it was like to remake such a classic song basically you know, they they said that they wanted uh, they wanted to update the the uh, the theme to Charlie's Angels. You know, but they kind of wanted it to be like a little bit of a throwback, like uh, Diana Ross kind of disco-y kind of vibe, but with you know kind of sounding a little bit more new. And so it, it was cool to have that kind of direction. And the the song was actually kind of you know it's there. You know, what I mean, you're just kind of. You're, you're, you're building around uh, the shell of something, whereas opposed to like What's Up Danger was literally from scratch. So uh, the Charlie's Angels theme definitely um, came together a lot easier and quicker, where it was kind of like, here, hey, guys, this is the idea. You know, it was kind of like, oh, OK, how about just make this change, make this change and you're good. And that was kind of it, you know, where, you know, What's Up Danger was just months of going back and forth and a million revisions and stuff. So. A uh, totally different beast, you know, in itself. Definitely. So I want to switch things back to you two originally working together. Obviously, if you were just working together on the weekends, successfully writing a lot of tracks and not really thinking about it too much, you had a really good workflow. So I'd like to hear, what is your general workflow for creating tracks now? What are your two roles when you're in the studio and have those roles shifted over time? Troy's definitely our beginning idea guy. Troy's got... Um, and maybe Troy, if you want to butt in and talk about this, about your, uh, your, the notepad on your phone, I think a lot of our ideas start on Troy's phone. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, 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 I don't know. My, my mind is a little, uh, <laughs> a little warped, I guess at times. So like, I'll, I'll just have an, the, you know, I mean, basically the kind of, kind of backtrack a little bit is, you know, Jared and I doing this project, you know, we really wanted to avoid 
just going down the lane that it kind of you, you you think you're supposed to go down where you know you want to write songs that are are going to be uh big you know big songs potential radio songs and it was kind of like let's let's just make let's make each other laugh i mean that that's kind of the the basis of it uh when it started so um you know i had a little note notepad in my um you know, my phone and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hear something funny or, you know, a, a funny a, a expression or something and I'll, I'll write it down. And then a lot of times like, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get a beat going or something and, and start throwing out these ideas. Or, you know, when we go into a session, you know, already have like, okay, well, here's this idea, this idea, and this idea, and then we can you know, jump off with somebody else. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would probably say, you know, this is a little bit, you know, I, I like, throwing ideas out and Jared's a little bit more like, uh, the hands-on, uh, technical end of things. Um, so, you know, I think that, that definitely gives us like a little bit more of like a, a unique, I don't know, workflow, I guess you could say, just because it's, you know, I, Jared and I complement each other really nice with songwriting. That's what's nice about being a duo like this. Like I'm, I'm, I can be more of a sound designer sometimes where I'll get stuck on, you know, a snare sound where, Troy will bring me back down to earth and be like, Hey man, what about this hook where this is the part everybody's going to be singing. Don't worry about this snare, this kick right now. And it's just a good kind of balance of, of that, of, of a yin and yang. And, and then also with nice with the duo is, is especially when you compartmentalize, even if you have a duo where both people are making beats, like if, if you kind of split it up a little more, the person listening to what they're not making. So if like I'm making a beat and Troy hasn't heard it yet, I love being able to send it to him and he's got fresh ears, which are priceless. I can't tell you how many times I I can't tell you how many songs that are probably would have done well that never made it's seen the light of day because I just got down on myself while I was making them and then vice versa you know Troy's got an idea where he's like I don't know man and he just tosses it to me so and that's one nice thing about this whole quarantine thing right now not being very close to each other is we're gonna have a lot of fresh ears on things a lot of stuff that's just gonna get made and get emailed I feel like it might be a really clean nice way to address your music you know. You know, basically, you know, Jared and I have written everything, you know, in a in the same room together uh, for the most part. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how we're going to do it now. Uh, you know, now that you know, I'm in New York City, and 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 Jared's at his uh, his other home in uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania. So it's uh, it's we're definitely we're turning a chapter in Black Caviar's uh, songwriting right now, for sure. For sure. So one thing that you mentioned earlier that I want to go back on is you talked about this project being kind of like a comedic fun relief for you too. I think there's other people that when they're walking into their artist project, they want it to be more of an emotional and cathartic release. Is that something you two think about at all with the emotional space of your project or are you really happy with the lane that the Black Caviar sound is in? No, I personally think I'm more excited about this vibe because I think there's plenty of emotional music it actually it's helped us in the sync world because we make happy uplifting music we've gotten more syncs because i can't tell you how many times we've had music supervisors come to us and be like there's so much good music out right now but a lot of it's like especially when that the big trap like kind of down or like the future sound like in the future and drake album came out a couple years ago like a lot of rap got really you know just down and that's cool and it's fun to listen to but sometimes it doesn't work for commercials and other applications so it's nice that we, you know, at first it might have been weird to pave our own road and didn't know where we fit. It's kind of nice now um, to be where we are and kind of get known for what we do. And so, yeah, now, yeah, to answer your question, I think I'm super excited about kind of staying in our lane, even if it doesn't quite fit into a radio programmer's agenda. Yeah. 
So switching things over into production, we already talked a bit about your workflow with Troy being more the idea guy and Jared being more of the technical finisher. One question that I want to ask is listening to your catalog, you two do a really great job with very few elements. I think pretty much all producers struggle with crafting a full and interesting mix with a minimal amount of elements. What advice would you give to somebody that really struggles to keep things simple, but interesting in their productions? Yeah, I, as a guy that has, I have that problem. I constantly overdo it. I overlayer. My first passes are usually an absolute mess. Um, and I can't hear it. And that's a big, like one of my flaws as a producer for sure is I, I tend to, you know, send Troy ideas that are comprised of 90 tracks, you know, and this is like another, going back to what we were saying about being in a duo, it's like one of my favorite parts about being in a duo is those fresh years of Troy being like, dude, this is nuts. And then, you know, it'll take me a day to get away from the song and then I'll hear that. And so for us, it's definitely a subtractive kind of program where we, we start with <laughs> 90 tracks and then we kind of go backwards from there. Yeah. I think it's probably like, uh, you know, you start just peeling layers back and just kind of seeing, okay, can we, can we maintain, uh, the, the, the rhythm, you know, like, can, do we, are we still getting what we need to out of this rhythm and, uh, and, uh, with minimal thing. And I think, you know, one of the, th one, two of the big influences that Jared and I have in this, uh, uh, duo is, uh, Pharrell and Timbaland, you know, where you hear, uh, their, their beats and their, their production is just so minimal, but they pick the exact right sounds to hit in the exact right place. And, uh, you know, there really is like, there's a real art to that. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that we're just still constantly evolving and trying to learn and study these masters of their craft. But, uh, you know, I mean, to give you just two examples of, of producers that are just sick with minimal sounds, it's, it's those two guys. And we definitely look up to those guys a lot. So you've been producing for a while. So at this point, you've developed your ears a bit more to be able to effectively create a simple and interesting mix. Any tips for producers that are struggling with that and want to get better at trying to do more with less? Yeah, I think a big one for me has been just as simple as listening to other people's music. Why does it bounce? Why does it swing? That's like our biggest thing because it's something that I, I struggled with, you know, especially I'm like a rock drummer. You know, I started there. So a lot of things I do are very stompy and like, maybe don't have a lot of like swing or flow. And so usually we start every session just by going through, you know, just a couple of things we're really digging right now in the, you know, in the house world, especially some of this newer tech house stuff. It's just like so swung and so dope. It's like going back and forth to the point of downloading the song and putting it in our session and going back and forth between our song and somebody else's song and being like, why does this hit like this? And why doesn't ours? And sometimes like taking a technical approach like that can be way less overwhelming than just being like, why does my song suck? And theirs doesn't, you know, it's like, just put it in there and, and, and really a B it. Um, and I think that's a simple thing I probably learned many years ago that I probably didn't exercise enough. Yeah. I've definitely with us, like, uh, like I said, you know, like the rhythm and, and, uh, the, the bounce, I mean, that's, that's kind of what we call it. It's just the way that the beat bounces way. It makes you with the groove of it. I mean, that to us is, I mean, the most important part, you know, where we, we try to, when we have a song, we try to take the vocal out and go, does this song stand on its own? Like if you heard this song alone, would this be dope? Um, and if it's not, you know, we want to get it there where you could listen to the instrumental and be cool with it. And then the vocal is just the icing on the cake, you know? 
So a follow-up question that I think a lot of producers have is when they're trying to craft more of a simplified mix with not too many elements going on, they can't make a big and full mix that sounds anything like the pros. So any advice for how you're able to take more of a stripped down production, but still make it sound as thick and full as a professionally engineered record? It's a good question. I'm not sure if I have like a, maybe Troy can help. I'm not, I don't know if I have like an exact science to it. I think there's sometimes um, there could be, Sometimes a crowd noise fills it in, it depending on, just depending on what's missing. I've done anything from just like a crowd cheering. Um, I think a lot of times it just comes down to if the synth isn't full enough, you got to find a different one, as frustrating as that can be. Yeah, it's, you know, like a lot of times, like, you know, filling out things, you know, sometimes like a record crackle will kind of help fill, fill out some of those little spaces where, you know, they're, it, 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 you give it a little texture. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's just trying to, trying to dial in that, that bass to sat to hit the way you want it to hit or the synth. And, you know, it can be frustrating, you know, it's, it's frustrating going through where you're like, you know, you have something you're like, man, I don't know, this, this sounds, you know, sounds a little on the generic side, you know, just keep tweaking and keep tweaking. And then, you know, when you finally get it, it's so rewarding to be like, Oh, we, we cracked the code, you know? And I think one thing to add off of that is you two have talked about how important the core idea or hook is and how important the rhythm is. If you have those two ideas down, let's just say it's either a vocal in the drums or it's a lead synth in the drums. If you have those two ideas down well, the quality of your mix doesn't really matter as much. You can get away with a less perfect and polished mix and master. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes on the reverse where you could have a song that's not so not so good or you know where the, the hook maybe isn't as strong or whatever but the mix sounds incredible and it, you know you kind of go you, you could there's something there to grab into the song do you know what totally. i mean totally I think about it as something to bring the listener in, whether it's a full and interesting mix that hits them in a unique way, or it's just a solid hook or a solid groove. I think an example that I love to give producers that are really overly focusing on a perfect mix is go listen to Justin Timberlake's track Sexy Back, which going back to earlier was produced by Timbaland. And if you listen to that track, the mix is fine. There's nothing too polished about it, but the track works because that hook is so strong. You hit the nail on the head. I was even going to say, like, I'm listening to a Promiscuous Girl the other yeah. day, that Nelly Furtado record. It's like some of Timbaland's stuff, like, mix-wise, like, the lows aren't that low, the highs aren't that high. But it did not, when that shit was out and banging in the club, it didn't matter because the hooks were so strong and the ideas were there and they were so simple and easy to digest. But no, we, we've, Troy and I laugh about that sometimes. You go back to some 90s dance songs that you just hold so high. And you're like, oh man, we've really gotten as a as a community have gotten better of like taking up the whole sound spectrum, um, for better or for worse. I know I know some stuff might people overdo it, and we, we have you know we've been guilty of that in the past of over saturating or you know over compressing things or you know we love to kind of dissect like old Missy Elliott beats, you know, and you know yeah, the sometimes the mix isn't that great, and uh, it's definitely come a long way in 20 years, but the the rhythm, you know, again the hook, but like. For me, the rhythm and where that bass is sitting in that beat, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can you can compromise uh, sonically a little bit if that rhythm is there. So another production question I have for you is your leads kind of across your catalog are always really unique and distinct and sometimes a little bit fun and quirky. What is your general process for creating the leads in your tracks? Cutting up a lot of samples. <laughs> I, that's another one I'm not sure I have. Uh, we have any rhyme or reason to. It's like um, Troy really early on in the project um we took a bunch of, of old vinyls and he just sat around and cut everything up and cataloged everything a lot of those noises just come from these tiny little one shots 
of things that we, you know, duplicate and end this kind of process in different ways. But yeah, that's another one. Like it just has to hit right, which can also be super frustrating because it could go on for weeks. And we've had so many renditions of songs where like everything's there. There's just no like instrumental lead to hook everyone in and we know it needs it. And sometimes we can't find it. We, I mean, I, th- I think if you listen to our music, we tend to lean towards like flutes and high end, like woodwind instruments and things of that nature. So I think usually we start on that end, but otherwise, yeah, it's just a volume game of like just chopping and chopping and chopping. Yeah. So speaking of that, you two last Friday just released your latest single, Bang Bang. The main lead during the drop is a saxophone or flute sound. Do you remember what you originally used for that? Yeah, that that was just a contact. Um, that one, it's funny, I just talked a bunch about samples, <laughs> and that one was just like a normal, you know, the, the woodwind plug-in and contact. I think it was like a clarinet. It was a, a, a hot minute ago, so I can't remember exactly which which program within the, my contact it was, but... Uh, but yeah, that was just like a woodwind instrument that we just kept playing around with that lead until it hit right. So for me, a lot of times when I'm using sounds from a contact library or omnisphere that are organic, but very dry, it takes a lot of processing to get them to fit in more of a traditional modern EDM mix. Do you remember anything that you did to that lead to just give it a bit more of a professional polish and shine? Yeah, out of the gate, you know, we always use the utility. And I don't know if this makes sense outside of Ableton, but there's a uh, an audio... God, I'm like blanking what they're even called. An audio unit within Ableton that uh, kind of widens everything called utility. There's usually like a, I have like a recipe of like I usually drop utility on it, obviously compress it a little bit. And then multivariate compression is, is a big one to make things sit like a two by four across the whole mix when you want that to happen. And I think that's a good example for a question that I asked you earlier about how to create a full mix with minimal sounds, multiband compression, making sure that your main sounds are as filled out as they can be in every area of the frequency spectrum. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like when, when sounds are that big, like that lead that you're talking about in bang, bang of like making sure that when other things do hit, whether it be the kick drum or, you know, percussion in the background, it, it almost has to, everything has to be like side chain to each other so that at any given moment, there's almost only like one sound happening. I do want to add that um, that was a, you know, like just in this new era of music that like we, we have never met Jen Morrell. We've talked to her a little bit over DM and it's just a really beautiful thing. Like, because that, that opportunities wouldn't, wouldn't have come up otherwise. We're in two different lanes of music. And it was just like, you know, we talked to somebody that talked to somebody that was like, Hey, I know this chick, you should check this out. They emailed us a vocal. We started building it. We went back and forth a couple of times and that thing, I can't stress enough just like how thankful I am to live in a time where that is a standard practice. And some young guys that, that don't know any, you know, that that's how they came up. It's like it, it never was like this before. And it's just opened up this monster window of being able to collab with all these different people. Like the song wouldn't have happened without the Internet, I can promise, you know. Yeah, it's, it is wild how, uh, you know, like even some of the other collabs that we've done, you know, like just, we've never even met, you know, some of these people ever, you know? So it's just such a wild and interesting time to everybody, especially, you know, possibly now with, with, you know, being in quarantine, like where nobody's together, you know, and it's all just kind of going over the internet and, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy way to write music, but it's such an awesome way to write music because you get to work with people that just have just come approach things from such a different angle and think about things from just a, a way that you may not have thought about. Yeah, and there's even like an emotional one, you know, kind of growing up as an introvert, like it it helps with strain. So I still have trouble in the studio with a bunch of people, you know, like especially if there's it's a sound design thing. Like Troy and I really try to stick to songwriting when we're in a room with someone 
to keep things moving and it doesn't get stale and everybody starts like checking their phones and blah, blah, blah. You know, we really try not to spend much time on sounds because of that feeling of like, you know, there's like six people staring at you and you're trying to like, you know, craft this kick drum. So it's, it's been really nice for, for that as well, where we can take time where we don't feel like we're under pressure, you know, in the room. Yeah. So you two, during the duration of the project, have had a really great, consistent release schedule, both with originals and with remixes. Kind of on that note, I'm curious, is Creative Black something you two find yourselves running into? And if you do, how do you normally deal with that to get out of a creative rut? Yeah, I think everybody deals with, uh, you know, creative blocks, you know, where you, uh, you know, especially, you know, for us, we, we Jared and I really have uh, ADD, uh, where we could be doing... Uh, you know, multiple house music and there's, there's, there's house music remixes and we're putting out our own stuff. And we're just kind of like, you just can't, we can't even, we can't even deal with house music anymore. It just, it just becomes too repetitive and you're just listening to this, you know, four on the floor kick drum over and over and over again. So, you know, that's where we kind of shift gears and we're like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's do something a little bit more Latin. Let's, let's do, you know, we have a bunch of like kind of hip hop twerk tracks we've been working on, you know? So it's like, I think as producers, and I, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to to step into uh, unknown territory and and push yourself creatively and be like, okay, how do we get through this uh, cr- uh, uh, creative block that we're having? Like, you know, it's like, and then you know, and sometimes you know, we're Jared and I literally just look at each other like, I got nothing. Hey, man, I got nothing either. You know, let's then let's uh, you know let's just chop up samples today or. Let's, uh, you know, listen to just, let's listen to some different vocalists or let's listen to some top lines or something. So, um, you know, to keep the process moving, you know, you, you got to find other ways to, to, uh, yeah, you know, kind of keep, keep things, you know, push through where there's, there is a creative block, you know? One thing I've been doing lately too, because I'll be honest, like I'm kind of coming up, I'm just coming out the other end of one, (laughs) um, is we don't end up using, like just sometimes copying beats, like like I was talking about earlier, like sometimes I'll just put a beat in Ableton and remake it and then delete it. Like just for that exercise of like, I want to do that, you know? And I think that's, that's one thing that's helped me a ton is just the help of other music, listening to other people's music, um, just dissecting how they made it. You know, YouTube has been a big help for getting over creative blocks or, and another one too is bootlegs stuff that's already out there flipping something that already exists. Um, is always a big help because it, it, you know, I mean, and you've got a vocal, you know, is strong. If you're just going to grab like a pop tune off the radio, like that, that's always a big one too, is, you know, and some of them don't ever make it and they're not like great to DJ or whatever, but just sometimes being okay with the fact that you're going to spend all day on something that's not going to see the light of day just to get your creative juices flowing and, you know, exercise. Yeah. And there's been times where we've done, we've, we've done those exercises and, uh, you know, where it's like, you know, we're just fucking around making, just making nonsense. And yeah, it's just, it is nonsense. And then you put it aside and then you come back to that nonsense, you know, six months later and you're like, yo, there's an idea here. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's happened to us multiple times. Yeah. There's a bit of an art too, and just putting it away, you know, putting it down. If you get stuck, just put it down and move on, man. And that's something early on. I did not get, um, we've Troy and I've gotten great at it where it's, you know, it's not weird for us to have five, six, seven different things rocking at the same time. Um, even in one day, you know, spending an hour on this and an hour on that, just so that sometimes when things get stale, you get stuck in an idea. The best things to do is just let it go, man. Come back later. We have a lot of songs we're releasing now that I'm thinking about it that are, are not new because <laughs> we came back to them. 
there, there's times where like we've been on heading down a path that is amazing. And then you just keep hammering it and you keep hammering it and you keep hammering it. And you're just, now you're back, you're going backwards where it's not cool anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, that's happened to us many times where, you know, it, it, you know, Jared's right. You know, like you have to, you have to just be like, okay, we have an idea here. We're not going anywhere with it. Let's stop and let's move on to something else. And I, I think, you know, as far as like a workflow goes, I think that's, that's, uh, very key for us. Totally. I think that's an essential mindset for producers to develop where they have to get comfortable letting ideas go, knowing that more will come up later. Absolutely. So I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, Jared, which was that you used to be an A&R for Casablanca Records, which is under the universal umbrella. How important do you feel like it was for the growth of your project that you had some experience working within a major label? And how important do you feel like it is for producers that are looking to establish a career in the music industry to get some major label experience to give them some more insight for their own artist project? Oh, man, you know, it, it's I think it's pretty important to at least even if you don't have a job there, maybe to at least intern for a summer at something just to see how fickle the whole thing is. And I know that's like, there's a million other things to learn from having a job in the music industry. But for me, the most important one for my mental health was just to know and to truly understand we're in a line of work that mostly doesn't work out. And I always use like, in our, my, a lot of my family is in building and like architects. Like I just always talk to them about it. I'm like, could you imagine building 10 houses and nine of them fall over? You know, that's, that's what our job is. And I think I didn't, I wasn't okay with that until I got my ass kicked, you know, working at a label, you know, signing stuff and just being like, this is definitely going to work. And then it doesn't work. And just starting to become okay with that and knowing that it's not, the success isn't like, you can't control that. You can't will something to happen. It's just going to happen or it's not. And this all kind of comes back around to just doing it because you love it. Cause other, if you do it because you want to be successful, it's just not. You'll just you'll send yourself. You'll, you'll turn crazy. It's not. It's not going to be a good time for you if that's your main goal. Totally. And I see a lot of people that just complain and complain about the way that the music industry oh my is, God, which dude. is pointless because it's how it is. You can't control it. So the best thing that you can do is simply just understand that the way that the industry works and get good at dealing with how fickle and often unfair the industry can be. Yeah, and and, and nowadays it helps a ton because there's a lot of other options um, besides going to a major. And I think major labels still have a place in the world and they, they do a lot of good for big pop acts. But sometimes if you're a dance act, um, it might not be your cup of tea. And you may not know that until you kind of get in there and figure out that, you know, I don't want to get trapped in this like six album deal and this and that. And so, no, I think it, I think it, um, to answer your question, I think it's done a ton for my outlook on all of this. I'm not sure I would have made it through black caviar without doing the label thing and understanding that, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to go nuts. Yeah. And that's one thing you have to, you have to, uh, you know, understand that the music business is a business. Um, and, and, and dealing with labels, uh, you know, a lot of times like they're not musicians. So, you know, that's, that's something that you have to sometimes keep in mind. Um, you know, they're, they're more like a businessman. Um, so it, it can get frustrating to navigate those waters, but you know, at the same time, you, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love, making the music and you have to have passion for it. Um, you know, that, that'll help, you know, and if you're, if you're doing what you love and you're just, and you're going with your heart, you know, it, it'll find a way. Um, but I think a lot of times people approach it as like, I just, I need to, I need to sign this deal and I need to be famous and I need money to, you know, if once I sign this deal, everything will be okay. And a lot of times, you know, you sign a record, big record deal, 
and and it's you're worse off than when you were independent. Now you're locked in with these guys that they don't care about you, uh, or as much as you'd like them to care about you, and uh, you know you're stuck. So it's uh, it, the the lay, the me the. Uh, record label world is a is a tricky thing for sure. And the one other thing I think you can learn too from kind of tip the you know stepping into the business side early on, and this is more important than anything these days for young guys is there's all these new avenues. It doesn't have to be writing a hit record. Um, there's you know there's an insatiable appetite for music for Netflix stuff. I mean they're making more TV shows than they've ever made. They're making more movies than they've ever made, and they all need music. Maybe that's your cup of tea if you're not an artist and you don't want to be on stage. You know, or vice versa, where you don't really write songs, you just do mashups and you're out there, you know, selling a ton of tickets because you can rock a party. You know, there's maybe you're a ghostwriter, maybe you're, you know, a top liner, or you can be a sound designer, or, you know, there's, I think there's all these new facets that didn't always exist. Um, and I think that's important to realize. And maybe even if everybody wants to be a rock star, sometimes play to your strengths. I, I know some guys in the past I'm really proud of now that started on the artist side and struggled and then found their place behind the scenes whether it be in movies or in mixing and mastering or whatever, um, it's really cool to see your friends kind of find their road, even if it's not where, if it's not where they even started. From. Yeah. So a few more questions and then we will wrap things up. First off, we've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. You've already offered some great advice, but what additional advice would you give to a producer that's just starting out to give them the best chance of success moving forward with music? Uh, I would probably say, um, uh, uh, an important thing to do is find your identity and find your sound. And that's, that's a little bit easier said than done, but it's, it's finding what makes you stand out from the rest. What, what is it, you know, is it, it could be anything. It could be, you know, your production style or, or rhythmically what you're doing or minimal, how minimal you are, you know, but I, I would definitely think that that's, that's an important thing. And, write a ton of music, just keep writing music. I mean, that, that's, you just keep getting better and better, and better at your craft. Um, that would be the, the first little bit of advice. I don't know, Jared, what do you think? No, you're absolutely right. And then one thing to add on is, you know, once you find that sound, you know, stick to it. If you're, if you're going to be copying kind of what's the sound now, you're already too late. You know, if, if, if that's what you want, if you want to make hits, you know, like you got to kind of be a year or two ahead and, um, you know, our manager always brings up Chris Lake as a guy that, you know, has been doing his thing for a long time. And now he's having his moment because he just, he kind of stayed his lane and made his house music and had his sound. And then like, it, you know, not saying every, you want it to take 10 years to come around, but like now that it came around, it came around for him in a really big way because everything just kind of caught up. And, and I think that's, you know, not to, not to compare ourselves to Chris Lake, but like, I feel like, you know, in our own way, we're just starting to come into that where like early on we might've bumped our head against the wall, kind of making music that people didn't know where to put it. And now that it's opened up where EDM's not a dance music. is not so specific to one thing. Now people have more open minds and you can kind of spread out and do your thing. So I guess it's really like, once you find that sound is as frustrating as it might be is really stick to it. If you love it, even if it's not the sound that's hitting right now. Um, if you love making dubstep, just keep making dubstep until that shit comes back around, man. You know, it's going to happen one day. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay. So one last question. We already talked about your release bang, bang, which everybody should go check out after this podcast, but what else is going to be coming up for you two in the next few months? Uh, we got to, I mean, we're just sitting, we're working on a, a ton of new music, um, that we're really excited about. Um, 
you know, it's, it's just trying to figure out where the home is for it. Um, and, and, you know, working on this little bit now in, in quarantine, you know, it's trying to figure out, uh, how this works, you know, and, and, uh, pushing ourselves now in this lane, you know, um, but, uh, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's just continuously trying to, to, uh, push things and, and, and take things the next step further. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think we're going to, we're, we're kind of this the weird state right now where we had, you know, we had tour dates and like everybody else that got canceled. So I know we're going to kind of wait to see what happens. And we'll, I think we would uh, be rebooking a lot of stuff, hopefully for late summer into the fall. We'll see. And then, um, yeah, I think there's going to be more originals um, and maybe a few less remixes, you know, the next year. We're definitely want to, it's time for us. Like me, me and Troy are really hungry to, uh, to take it to the next level. So we're really, we have our heads down right now, like really trying to write that, that song that, that excites us and our fans, you know? Totally. So with that, we'll wrap things up for this episode. You can find Black Caviar's music and socials in the description of this podcast, including a link to the new single Bang Bang, which you should all go check out. Guys, it's been great chatting with you. Appreciate you being on the show. Dude, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.